Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Kevin Cochran. Kevin is a sought-after speaker on the necessity of money management for families, teens, and young adults. Having been featured on radio and television programs across the country, he's spoken to well over 100,000 people, including professionals, students, schools, communities, and corporations on the importance of financial literacy and how to create a foundation for personal wealth. Kevin believes that money management is a lesson that we all learn eventually. Some learn it the easy way and some learn it the hard way. Kevin is also the co-founder of Enriched Academy. Enriched Academy provides a foundation to help people avoid the damage caused from learning it the hard way and to set the stage for people to take control of their financial health. I'm a big fan and supporter of Enriched Academy. I've taken Enriched Academy's online course and I can honestly say it's the best financial program in Canada. It should be mandatory in schools across the country as far as I'm concerned. In case you're wondering, Enriched Academy isn't affiliated with the banks. You won't be sold on anything, but what you will get is the financial tools you need to better manage your money and build wealth. When you sign up for Enriched Academy, you'll get instant access to two of its most popular programs, its tools and resources, and its interviews with 32 of Canada's top financial experts, including yours truly. Enriched Academy's course has a Big focus on real estate investing. It has courses dedicated to investment properties and private lending. It's worth signing up for those courses alone. To learn more about Enriched Academy and to sign up, visit burnyourmortgage.ca slash academy. In case you don't feel like typing that out, I've included the link in the show notes. Signing up for Enriched Academy is money well spent. It's a course that literally pays for itself. Join Enriched Academy now and take your finances to the next level. Now back to the podcast. In my interview with Kevin, we discuss getting a deal on Dragon's Den, eight ways to get a A-plus beacon score, and different ways to invest in real estate, including investment properties and private mortgages. Without further ado, here's my interview with Kevin Cochran. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to be speaking with you today and to hear your story. So can you tell us why you started Enriched Academy? The reason Enriched Academy started was more or less is actually by accident. A few years after finishing high school, I grew up in Toronto, in the Toronto area. And a few years after, finish, uh, as a high school student, wasn't very smart, you know, didn't graduate with a, you know, with a high mark, and in fact, didn't even graduate high school. And after finishing high school, I did. I went into uh, the workforce, 
went and worked at Bayview Mall over at uh, Bayview and Shepherd area, and then I became an assistant manager at Burger King, and and then I was a uh, mechanic, one of the worst mechanics I ever met. And <laughs> it was interesting, you know, two or three years after finishing high school, I was making all this money. Uh, it wasn't like I wasn't earning money, but uh, I was, you know, earning an income. But I, I found myself over $20,000 in credit card debt. I actually uh, bought my first car on a credit card. And it was crazy. I, I joke around that my credit got so bad that someone stole my identity and my credit rating got better. <laughs> right? And uh, the challenge is, is that, you know, at that point, I ended up getting in enough debt that my parents couldn't really bail me out of. Uh, I, I shouldn't have been in debt in any way anyways because I was living at home for free. My parents weren't charging me rent. And so I was earning a full-time income, not a lot, but, you know, still making 25, 30,000 bucks a year out of high school. But I was spending all that money on top of that. I was spending $20,000 more and I had no overhead, no rent, no heat, no hydro. My mom paid for the food at the house. So it was pretty crazy. So you started realizing, like, why didn't anybody teach us about money through our formal education? And so what happened was in my early 20s, I was fortunate enough to meet a guy by the name of Richard Robbins. And we grew this large sales training company. And, you know, in my early 20s, I went out, started speaking to kids teaching kids about money. This is, again, you're talking about 20 years ago. There was no intention of trying to build a company. I thought, I want to become a better speaker. Let's speak at high schools, teaching kids about money. I think they'll love it. And interesting enough, the, the first events that we did were a huge disaster for kids. You know, we just weren't really hitting the nail of getting the message through to students about how money works. You know, we were going in and talking to kids about, you know, when you retire by 65 and when you're talking to a 17-year-old about retiring at 65, they think they're going to be dead by 25. <laughs> Over the next 10 years, again, without any intention of trying to build a company, I was going out there speaking. I spoke to over 1,000 schools, free of charge, teaching about money. But we ended up getting really good at teaching kids about money. You know, Because what you have to realize is I think a lot of parents give up. One of the biggest challenges if you ask any parents raising their kids is getting them to learn how to save money. Right? You know, it's just, it just is. And I think the reason why is parents ask their kids to save money and they try two or three or four or five, six, seven times like my parents did, and then they just quit. Like, oh, it just didn't work, right? Uh, they're not ready to learn. And then it just falls on the back burner. And it was kind of like me doing the presentations at high schools. You know, if I would have quit on the first seven to 10, the presentation would have been good. It took me a thousand times to get through to kids to figure out what really triggered their appetite. And our presentation at these schools got good enough where parents were calling us up at night saying, I don't know what you did, but my daughter's going to university next year and she was saving to buy a car. But in university next year, instead of buying a car, she wants to buy an investment property instead after speaking to you. So while she's in school, she wants to live in one of the rooms. She wants to rent the rooms to her friends. She's, gonna have to, she's asking about co-sign for the mortgage. I can't believe you did that in two hours. <laughs> but it took 10 years to get that message that precise and that impactful for students. And so we realized we had a really good idea that we should probably market to get to the market. So we created a six-week, six-DVD course. We filmed what we were doing at schools, and we sold it for $200 a kit. It was a six-week, six-DVD course. And anyway, it did really well. We sold over 1,200 units in our first week. The company had did over 200,000 in sales in this first week, which is pretty rare. And from there on in, it's kind of been history. So it's been pretty amazing. Well, that's a remarkable story, and that's not all. My understanding is that you also appeared on Dragon's Den, and that's really where you got your 15 minutes of fame, and that's where everything really blew up. Could So could you tell me a bit about that experience on Dragon's Den? Yeah, you know what? It was a really cool experience. We ended up getting on the show Dragon's Den, and what happened was we went and auditioned, and funny enough, Jay and I, my business partner who went on the show with me, we auditioned, we, we role-played to prepare ourselves for the audition in front of the producers of the show, 
And uh, I mean, for two days, we locked ourselves in the basement. And I mean, we had five cell phones. Our friends were calling us, acting like the dragons, throwing all these objections at us. Uh, so we would be really ready. And we went in. I mean, we nailed the audition to get on the show. The producers were like, that's one of the best auditions we've ever seen this year. They said, but just to let you know, you're probably not going to make the show. <laughs> and we're like, what? And we were in Collingwood, Ontario. They said, listen, your program is looks amazing. You guys are very... You know, you look sharp. The problem is, is you're a TV program. Like, it's on TV. You, it's video. Like, it's a video-based program. How can we show video on television, right? It doesn't really work. And I remember we were driving back to my place. I just fully felt, felt defeated. We just, and then I'll never forget, we pulled over on the side of the 400. I was like, no, we can't quit. We got to get on this show, Dragons. Then it's in our program. Never quit. So I said, let's go audition again tomorrow because they're open auditions. And so I said, where, where are those producers tomorrow? And then we realized they're in Vancouver, BC. Oh. And we're like, oh my gosh. So we literally just drove straight to the airport. And I don't know if anybody's ever flown across the country same day. It's not the cheapest thing in the world to do. And I'll never forget, we flew across the country and we were ready to, you know, pitch them again. And we walked into the room and the two producers looked at us. They're like, what are you guys doing here again? Like, we just saw you yesterday. Like, what did you do? We said, listen, we just spent $3,000 on flights, 12 hours on planes to spend three minutes with you. Like, please give us another shot. This program's amazing. The Dragons are going to love us. And then right there and then they actually said, okay, you know, we've never seen this type of effort. Well, we're going to give you a shot. You can go on the show. And so that was pretty cool. And then we ended up getting on the show. That was awesome. We had all five Dragons bid on the company. That only happened five times that year. We're all five Dragons bid on a, a company. And we ended up signing a deal with Jim Living and Bruce Croxon, uh, Jim Living from Boston Pizza. And we're proud to say we're the number one deal he's ever done on the show now. He's been on the show 13 years, seen 3,000 pitches. We're number one he's ever done. So that's a nice feather in the cap. And Bruce Croxon also uh, has been just extraordinary to work with. And he was the founder of Lava Life. And uh, again, just a huge supporter of what we do as well. Wow, that's an amazing story. I mean, flying across the country like that. I, I don't know if any guest has done that since then, but you know, it definitely probably blew the socks off of the producers there, your commitment level. Well, you know what? It's just like anything in life, man. If you want something, you know, just because you get rejected, you just have to find a creative way to go out there and, and, and get their attention. I remember, you know, after high school, one of the odd end jobs I had, because the three main ones I had, as I said, was a mechanic working at Roots and, and Burger King. But, you know, in between that, I also was a, a waiter at Kelsey's restaurant. And I'll never forget I walked in to do an interview and they said, do you have any server experience? And I said, no, I've never done it ever. And they're like, well, we're looking for people with just experience, you know, as a, as a waiter. And I said, well, everybody has to start somewhere. And they said, no, it's just not going to work. And so I actually took one of their menus home with me that night and I studied it, you know, with just what a topping drum burgers and blah, 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 blah. And the next, or I think it was two days later, I walked in and saw the manager there again. I threw the way uh, the menu. I said, I studied your menu. I said, give me a shot. I said, I know everything. And he's like, you studied our menu inside and out. I go, no way every topping on every burger. Give me a shot. And they gave me the job, right? And so I say that to students all the time. Like, you know, if they're going out there and trying to find a job and because you got to earn money to save it, which is part of our program, you got to have money coming in. You know, when McDonald's puts a, an ad or they're showing that they want to employ somebody, they're going to get 300 applications coming in. And when you're 16, 17, all, all the resumes look the same. So you got to find a way to stick out, right? Little things like that make a difference. 
great advice. And again, amazing story. Thanks for sharing that with me. So just switching gears for a moment, credit is is something that a lot of Canadians know that it's important to have good credit, but they just don't really understand the secret sauce, as I like to call it, about how you actually get good credit. So could you talk about some of the ways to get an A-plus beacon score? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the important thing is make, excuse me, anybody listening right now, make them understand why it's so important to have a good credit score, right? Because I think it really comes down to this, if you just take a look at it, is that only two people can have your money, right? It's either you or somebody else. And that's it, right? And it's very difficult, if not like, not impossible, but it becomes extremely difficult to build wealth and get out of debt with a bad credit score. What you have to realize if you have a bad credit score, your interest rates are going to be higher on every loan you have, whether it's a car loan, a line of credit, a mortgage, it doesn't matter. Student loans, everything gets higher because you become a higher risk. People ask me, I've got to get out of debt. What's one of the best things I, what's one of the best things I could do? Well, the first thing I say is you got to, you know, figure out what your credit score is because it's actually shocking how many people don't go out and check what their credit score is, right? So I always say step number one is, always know what your credit score is, right? If you don't know what that is, that's the first thing because there's, you don't know what you need to fix until you you know, take a look at what it is. The second thing that you want to do when it comes to uh, building a good credit score is this is, you know, carry no more than two credit cards. That's one thing that I've always just been a really, really, really big believer in. And the reason why I say that is that the average Canadian carries uh, 3.5 credit cards. I don't know how that math figures out, but every study I've ever seen is 3.5. And again, so that's one of the best things you can do to have a good credit score is at least to have no more than two credit cards. Number three is this, attack unattractive debt. People ask me all the time, should I start saving money or should I start paying off debt? Well, the question is, first of all, what interest is that debt on, right? If you have credit card or line of credit at anything over, you know, seven to eight percent, you need to start paying off that debt first. Because there's no point saving money getting a 5% return when you have some type of debt at 13%, right? Because you're going to go into more debt every single month. So that's another thing that you need to do to maintain a good credit score. Another one is this, is uh, keep longer-term credit vehicles open. If you have a credit card, I see this happen all the time, where you've had a good track record with this credit card, you've been paying it off on time, you know, and then a new credit card comes in with better features. What a lot of people do is they'll cancel the credit card they have right now that they've had a long-term good standing track record with, and they'll apply for the new credit card and get it. Well, that might, it doesn't necessarily will, but that might have a negative impact on your credit rating. So really, really important to keep longer-term credit vehicles open if it makes sense to do that. I always say ask for the highest available credit limits on your credit cards. And let me tell you why is that, especially if you tend to hold debt on credit card, which we recommend not to, but... What you have to realize is on every revolving debt that you have, whether it's like a credit card or a line of credit, where revolving debt is where you can borrow against your loan and pay it off and do it over and over again. It's like credit card. I'm going to borrow a couple hundred dollars. I'll pay it back and you can do it over and over again. What you have to realize there's something called a utilization rate. So let's just say if you have a $5,000 credit limit on your credit card, but your balance is at $3,500 that you're not paying down. You're making minimum payments. So you're really not taking the balance off. You're just paying interest. You're actually better to call your credit card company and try to increase your limit to 11000 So you remain under that 35% of what your limit is on your credit card to what your balance is. Now, the key to this is if you increase your credit limit, that's not a raise where you're like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm going to spend a bunch more money on my credit card. That's great. 
you want to make sure you aim to use less than 35% of what your limit is, especially if you're holding on to balance. Now, if you have a $5,000 limit and you max out your credit card every month, but you paid off in full, that's not going to affect your credit score. But if you're hovering over 35% of what your limit is and holding on to those balances, that might have a negative impact on your credit rating. Uh, the next thing is, especially for those of you, let's just say if you get declined for some type of credit, like you apply for a credit card or a mortgage and they and you get declined and then go to another bank or a credit union, you get declined there. What you have to realize is that that's known as rate shopping. What you'll have to realize is that every time you apply for credit and get declined, that could have a negative impact on your credit rating, right? So again, make sure that you avoid doing that. Always make your payments on time. That's obviously one of the most no-brainer things that you could do, which has the highest impact on your credit rating is, you know, pay your full amount owing every single month on all the debt you have. And that would be the eighth thing that you'd have to do. Awesome. Thanks for all those great tips. Now, saving for real estate is something that people struggle with, especially with the level of housing prices in big cities like Toronto and Vancouver. So I was just wondering if you could share some tips with our listeners on ways to save for a down payment, maybe making it a bit easier. Yeah, well, I wish I could say there's easier ways to do it. But really, as, as we all know, it's difficult to kickstart your life. You know, after you, especially if you go to college, university, you graduate, then you have student loan debt in a lot of cases, right? So one of the best things that you could do is number one is if you can try to, you know, keep your overhead as low as possible, multiple jobs be the next thing. And, you know, for anybody looking at buying a home, because there, that is obviously a phenomenal way to build wealth. There's no question about that. One of the best tactics I tell a lot of students, especially after finishing college university, they're like, I want to buy my first home. I recommend is because you can't, number one, you always, and I'm not trying to, because that's my, one of my, my backgrounds is owning a mortgage brokerage, but always use a mortgage broker. Absolute no brainer. More and more Canadians every year, especially new home buyers are using mortgage brokers. You have access to more product. It just makes spectacular sense to do it. You don't pay the mortgage broker in most cases, the bank or the lender pays the mortgage broker for sending the deals. So it'll cost you nothing. You get better rates and better options. But you know, one of the best things you could do still in Canada, you can still buy and again, your options are limited and depends if you qualify, but you can still buy your first investment property with 5% down as long as you live in the property, right? Now there's limits on how much you uh, can qualify for and, and the value of the home. And again, you got to figure that out. But one of the best things that you can do if you take a look at it and go, let's say if you're looking for a home for half a million dollars, and, I, and again, I don't know if the rules have been updated just recently, but take a look at that. You need to save 25 to 30,000 plus closing costs on that. Now you take a look at that. If you can figure out a way that you can live in the basement of that home or the upstairs and rent out the basement, that's a phenomenal way to get into the housing market. Because it's one thing saving for the house is the next thing of paying for the house, right? And starting to build your retirement plan in your early 20s because you realize you only get four decades to really build your wealth. And that's one of the best things that I would recommend is, you know, after finishing school, it's not going to be easy, but it's not supposed to be easy, right? And, you know, you got to work one or two jobs as I did. You know, as I said, I was working as a mechanic and also a waiter on the weekends, right? That's just what you have to do. Life gets real at that point. You can't hide behind your parents that long. And as I said, try to save that. I wish somebody would have given me this advice. I would have done it. Save up enough as I possibly could. Live at home as long as you can. Save up that twenty-five dollars or $30,000 and try to save up enough for that 5% down payment on a home. Live in one section of the home and rent off the second part. 
Wow, great advice. And it sounds like you're telling my life story. That's exactly what I did myself. And I mean, not everyone can pay off their mortgage in three years like me, but it certainly set me up financially for the next several years of my life. And having a paid off house lets me work towards my next goal retirement. So I could certainly say from firsthand experience that your advice works great. Well, it doesn't. I think just like anything is what's really difficult, Sean, is I think a lot of people don't, they, they understand, oh, I know life's hard since school's done. It's kind of like, but they don't, until you live it, you don't realize how hard it is, right? Like it, it's hard. Like you're like, they're like, it can't be this hard. Like once you're in it, like once you're in the muck, you're like, oh, this has been going on for six months. Like it's just, it's really hard to save money and bills and yeah, this is life, right? This doesn't go away. This is a lot of pressure. And just realize you just got to stick with it and be patient with the process. But if you do that, I, I, I'm an upfront double down the beginning part of your life, as I know you are too, Sean, right? Is to me, I rather double down the pain in my 20s and 30s, which is what I did, as opposed to being in my 60s going, oh man, like, am I going to have enough to retire? Like that to me is stretching out the pain of money for decades and decades. I'd rather just really double down the pain of like, man, man, you know what? Pain being like, I can't party with my friends on the weekend because I'm, I'm being super disciplined right now because I'm trying to save and plant all these seeds for wealth so that I don't have to start worrying about money in my 40s and 50s and 60s, which which is ended up what happening, right? Great advice. And related to saving for a down payment, could you talk about some of the benefits of investing in real estate and perhaps mention how you first got interested in investing in, in your real estate and, and maybe you could mention how you purchased your first property as well? Yeah, you know what? When it comes to real estate, here's the reality. They're not building any more land, right? And you take a look at it, Maslow's you know, top three things that you need to know. There's the, the chart, shelter, food, and clothing, right? So you take a look at it. It's something that people have needed since Kate was a caveman. So you obviously see that the majority of people with extreme wealth, 90% of it's built under real estate, right? It's, it's a phenomenal asset to own. It's an investment property. If it burns down, you have insurance. You can rebuild it. If the stock burns down, and I'm not saying don't buy stocks, right? You just got to figure out what your asset allocation makes sense. But, you know, if a stock crumbles, there's no insurance on stocks, right? So if there is, let me know. You take a look at it, and this is a Warren Buffett quote, but Warren Buffett said, if you don't learn to make money while you sleep, you'll work to the day you die. And nothing has ever been more true. I, I really believe that because too many people believe that the older I'll get, I'll figure out ways to earn money and save and and it, it just doesn't work that way. Like, as you would know, Sean, buying investment property is an instant riches, right? It's, it's, a, it's a long process. Like, building wealth uh, is not a sprint. Most people want it to be. It's a true marathon process. So, you know, one of the things I had a business partner, Jay Seabrook, who was on the show Dragons Den with, we own a bunch of investment properties together. I own a few on my own as well. And you know what? We bought our first investment properties in places that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't go to Toronto, downtown Toronto, and buy investment properties. We just couldn't afford it. So we had to do what, you know, a lot of people wouldn't want to do is we started buying our properties in Aurelia, Ontario. For Aurelia, that was two and a half hours out of our way. It was a real pain in the ass. Uh, but we did that because that's all we could afford. And I mean, so there's problems, you know, you're dealing with calls at night. The challenge is most people are like, I don't want to buy it. I hear there's, you know, stories from hell and I, it's just miserable. Well, it, again, it's running a little mini business. But once you get into the rhythm of it, it really is a phenomenal way to build business. Anybody who owns investment properties, you would know, Sean, they only have one regret and that's they wish they would have started sooner. Exactly. And so we started buying our first investment properties in Aurelia. They cash flow decent. 
Then we bought our next one, and then we bought another one, and then we bought another one, and then another one. And they've done really, really well in Aurelia. But again, you're talking over the last 20 years, Jay and I have been doing that. And then I also bought some places over at Young and Eglinton and a couple places at Lanaud uh, area as well. And, you know, because when it comes to investment properties, you know, you really benefit three different ways. Number one is you benefit from the cash flow of the property, the, the mortgage pay down, and the, the value of the home going up. So you're really increasing your net worth by threefold every single, well, majority of years, right? Some years you're going to have payments on the property that, you know, you unexpected and, you know, the markets go up and down a little bit. But, you know, as you know, Sean, real estate markets up and down all the way up, right? So, yeah, it's been, it's an absolute no-brainer. Anybody who owns investment properties, they, they say absolutely, oh, no-brainer. Awesome. And I'm just curious, if you were to invest in Ontario today, are there any good areas that you would look at first in terms of buying an investment property? I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm working with some professional athletes right now, some CFL players, actually. And, you know, if you're looking at getting in and you're not, I'm, I'm not talking that some people are out there buying buildings and so forth. This still might be a good market. But, you know, I work with a lot of people that have investment properties. But the problem is they have no idea what the returns are every year. They're just like, well, I didn't put money into my investment property. So I guess it's doing good. <laughs> right? Well, no, you should be tracking, you know, everything on every property you have every single year. And anyways, one of the CFL players I was working with was in that boat. He's like, yeah, he's like, you know what? I own property in, in Windsor, but he didn't have any idea. He's like, I know, I just don't put money into it. They're pretty right, well run. And that was it. And, he, and we're talking duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. So, you know, and anyways, surprisingly, and again, I, the cash flow on them was phenomenal. His returns every year based on the equity on the property, the average, and I think he owned 10 of them there, was like 23%. And there was no savvy investing there. So Windsor would be one of the best marketplaces I would take a look at. I'm not saying you should buy there. I would just say take a look uh, because I think it's a little hidden gem. It's a little out of the way for a lot of people, right? Windsor's four or five hours from Toronto, right? You're on the border with Michigan. But again, it's a, it just I was very surprised to see the returns in that, right? So, yeah. Awesome. And they have some great weather there. They're at the same latitude as Northern California. So certainly if you want to bit warmer weather than Toronto, Windsor's a good place to visit every once in a while. So, Well, there you go. So you know what? So uh, next year, instead of going, I'll tell my kids that, instead of going to Northern California, we're going to go to Windsor. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they'll buy that, but anyway. Uh, so, I'm just kidding. So, so awesome. We touched on this earlier about some of the different ways to invest in real estate, but I'd just be curious about some other ways, such as private mortgages, and perhaps you could quickly tell me how you can leverage some of the equity in your existing properties as well. I come from a mortgage background, and I saw a lot of mortgage brokers out there doing really, really well, and doing it through private lending, through doing first and second mortgages. And I'll never forget, first reaction to it was like, well, who would do that? Like, why would you lend your own money on a house to somebody that you don't even know? If they have to resort to you to borrow money, how good are they? And that was just me being judgmental, right? Like judging it, not being curious. And so I got curious about it. And what I did is I went out and I realized what a huge opportunity doing first and second mortgages in Canada. You can do third as well. I probably don't recommend it. But you take a look at it and go, Canada has the lowest default in the world when it comes to mortgages. One quarter of 1% of our mortgages default. And you take a look at it and say that, especially what happened in the, what the landscape of the mortgage industry looks like in Canada right now. Last year was a huge year with the federal government you know, implementing very, very, very heavy stress tests, especially with anything over 20% down. And we've seen the effects of that in the marketplace this year, right? And 
you know, I think the objective, and I appreciate what the, the federal government is trying to do, is they're trying to make housing more affordable. And But if you ever watched the movie Jurassic Park? Yes, I have. John, and in the movie, Jeff Goldberg, I think that's his name, uh, he says, you know, nature finds a way, right? And it's the same thing when it comes to money. If somebody really wants money for a home, they're always going to find a way. Well, everybody was complaining about it's harder to get money now. What it really did was create this huge opportunity for doing first and second mortgage in Canada. What I think people have to realize is if you do a first or second mortgage on a property, you're legally untitled on that property. You have the same power as a bank, right? If they don't pay, you can foreclose on the property, right? Now, I'm not just saying after this podcast, you just go out there and start investing in this, but this is one of the most untalked about biggest opportunities in the Canadian market right now when it comes to doing first and second mortgages. There's no question about that. You take a look at it, you have a lot of self-employed Canadians that, you know, don't show a huge personal income. And the reason why they do that is because they're trying not to pay a lot of tax. So the problem is when they apply for a mortgage at a traditional lender, like a bank or a credit union, when they don't have a show of big income, the banks don't qualify them. Even though they may make half a million a year, but only show they make 80 to 90, they don't qualify for that $800,000 home that they always wanted, right? But they have the money coming in. It's just not reflected on their, you know, NOAs, notice of assessments. That right there would be a perfect example of a good mortgage you could do for somebody. And the key to any mortgage, there's, there's many steps that we can't go through all of them today. But the number most important thing is this, is you want to make sure that the loan to value the property is in your favor. So, you know, what you have to realize, people ask, what's the true risk in it? The true risk in, you know, doing first, second mortgages is if the customer does not have a lot of equity in the property. So the house is worth 100000 just to make the math simple, and the customer only has five or $10,000 equity in the property, only 5 to 10%. That's a high-risk pro- uh, mortgage that I probably wouldn't do. I want to see a customer with at least, you know, anywhere between 20 to 25% equity in the property, and then you can do a mortgage on that. And you're actually, in a lot of cases, you could be saving customers money. There was one deal that somebody came up and told me about was a person was self-employed, and tried to break the mortgage with their bank because they wanted to do a $50,000 renovation on their property. But to break a five-year fixed mortgage with a traditional bank in Canada, if anybody knows this, if it's not a variable rate mortgage, it's a fixed rate, five-year fixed, you're going to pay huge fees to get out. And this bank, one of the top five in Canada, the fee to break it was $27,000. And they're trying to get $50,000 out so that they can go out and do the renovation to sell their home. So this guy went out and he went to a private, this private lender that I know, lent him the $50,000. Now he's legally entitled on the property, charged him 15% for the money. But think about $50,000 times 15%, that's 7,500 bucks. So you just saved this customer 19,500 because the bank was going to charge him 27,000. Wow. Right? So the customer took the 50,000. You're now you're legally entitled. You have a, you're on the property, the title of the property. And he went out there. So now you're helping the customer. So you're not beating him while I'm down. You're saving him money. You lend him money at 15%, which is great for you, right? Because all these tight mortgage rules in Canada right now. And anyways, uh, the guy renovated the home, uh, sold the house. He got all his money out within a year. Uh, he made 15% on his money. Actually, he ended up making because the mortgage closed earlier than expected. So there was a three-month penalty. At the end of the day, it still didn't matter. The customer ended up making like 19% on, on their money. And that's literally one of the biggest opportunities in Canada being first, second mortgages in Canada that most people just aren't aware of. They're not educated. Great. Thanks for all that information there. And I'm just curious, does your course cover private mortgages? 
Oh, absolutely. We have a full section on private mortgages. Oh my gosh. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's one of the most talked about and highest rated sections in the program because we give you a step-by-step. It's something that we could never do here. Just it's too long. But the reality is, you know, within about 45 minutes to an hour, you'd have a full outline and a blueprint on how to do it. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for being on the show today, Kevin. It's been great having you. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, you know what? Actually, we're working on a program right now we're pretty excited about. Like, uh, the reality is we work with thousands of Canadians every single year. Sean, you've come to the events. You've seen it firsthand. We work with government identities, corporations, and go on and on and on, uh, athletes. And w- one thing that's always, I, we've held close to our it's always been the kind of the foundation because where it all started was our kids program and we actually were relaunching our teen and young adult version the one thing that we realized we sold i believe something like thirty thousand units of our teen program that parents bought to teach their kids about money the problem was a lot of parents had a hard time getting their kids to watch it which is a valid reason like when a 17 year old play video game or watch program about money the one thing we realized was the customers that were getting their kids to watch it was interesting because the customers actually gave us this idea they were paying their kids to watch it. The program, we didn't raise the price of the product. It's $200. It's our program for kids. It's three hours, as I said, six sections, three hours long. But what we're actually doing now, after the kids are done watching or the students are done watching it, they take a test, and they can take the test as many times as they have to. But once they get to 70%, we actually send a check to the kid for $100. So we're paying the kid $33 an hour for watching the program. We've tested this already, and the feedback's been amazing because what kid doesn't want to make a hundred bucks and you know, stay at home. I can make a hundred bucks at home done. And again, the feedback's been really amazing. So that's something coming out pretty soon. Awesome. I mean, I definitely knew if I got that as a kid and I could make a hundred dollars by doing the course, I make sure that I do it right away. I, that sounds amazing. Well, I'll tell you, I didn't like school growing up. It just wasn't for me. Right. And I'm not saying it's, it's bad. It just, I, it definitely didn't connect with me, but I'll tell you somebody who didn't like learning growing up. If somebody sat there and put that in front of me, saying, you're going to teach me how to do really well in life, and you're going to pay me how to do it, and it's only going to take three hours long, and I get paid 33 bucks an hour, I'm in, right? So yeah, that's something pretty cool. And that concludes my interview with Kevin Cochran of Enriched Academy. As mentioned in the intro of the show, if you're interested in learning more about Enriched Academy and signing up, visit burnyourmortgage.ca slash academy. In case you don't feel like typing that out, I've also included the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at Sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca, or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.